0: Um we were uh, watering our Anglican roots last week. Uh, I had the privilege of uh, preaching down at St. Elizabeth's uh, in Westville last week, uh, which is why we missed you. It was lovely to be there. My folks lead that church, so uh, there were people who genuinely had the right to whoop for me last week, but, they were, um, <laughs> but uh, my, my mom and dad had to be all official um, in Anglican garb up on the uh, stage area, so they had to be respectable. Um, and then the week before that, I was I was riding lots and lots and lots of kilometres over mountains in Mpumalanga. Um, which was a ridiculous uh, experience. Um, Anyway, but all of that is to say, and look, if you don't know me, you must think this is incredibly self-indulgent. But for our our mates who we've been missing, uh, it's lovely to be back with you this morning uh, and to have the chance to finish off this series. And so on the Preach roster, it says, a Taylor Masterclass on Conflict. Uh, and a younger version of myself would have be been like, yeah, high five, I could give a masterclass on conflict. Uh, and now I'm wise enough to know how rubbish I am at it. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so there's going to be a fair amount more. Yeah, and Burns here to witness to the fact that I get myself into lots of fights. So I'm not necessarily as wise in them as I used to think. Uh, yeah, so there'll be more humility in this preach, hopefully, than there might once have been. Um, but I've been doing some philosophizing about the human condition. This is something that happens to me quite regularly. I realize this is unusual. Um, But I have been sort of trying to wrestle with, like, what is it that's sort of uniquely and especially human? Uh, And I know that's a thought that occurs to most of you over your cornflakes. Um, But I've been, yeah, I don't know, for whatever reason, trying to think, like, what is the essential thing about being Homo sapiens, being image bearers of of, of God on earth? And... um, it seems like possibly the answer might be creativity, uh, although some apes might dispute that, um, but our ability to create seems to be pretty essential to who we are. And then if you were to raise the stakes on that a little bit more, I think our ability to trust might be one of the really uniquely amazing things that you have. Trust is this fragile thing. Animals know, right? Even if they're wrong, they believe they know. That, like it's just facts. Humans have this ability to trust, even when we can't be certain. But then, I suppose if you raise the stakes even further, I think one of the most critical things that you have as a capability is the ability to doubt. And that might sound like a strange place to start a sermon, but I think this is why it's right for us to fight against totalitarian regimes that say you're not allowed to doubt, right? It it is what it is. You're told what to believe. You don't get to question it. That's why the hardcore right and the hardcore left both should worry us. Because if you're not allowed to doubt what your hashtags tell you, or you're not allowed to doubt what your government tells you, then you've lost some of your humanity. Your ability to, to struggle to create, to struggle to trust, and then to doubt the validity of the thing you created or the thing you've put your trust in is part of being human, I believe. And having to figure that out for yourself. Can I reach God? Can I find him? Can I understand who he is? Has he actually been reaching out for me? What's he like? I don't want to just be told by some cult leader, you must believe this and you don't get a choice, right? I want to have to figure this out. And in relationships, it's just the same. All of us think we want certainty in relationships until we try and control one another the whole time to get certainty, but that's just not available. If you're dealing with another human being, there's this point where you're going to have to trust in spite of doubt. You're going to have to create something with this other person, despite the fact that there's reason to feel suspicious of them from time to time. If you were certain, you wouldn't call it trust. The fact that we call it trust implies you can't be certain. Okay, so I'm being very philosophical, but I think that this preach is potentially hugely helpful to us because so much human suffering... So many bad decisions, so much self-destructive behavior, so many failed businesses, failed marriages, failed callings come down to the fact that we don't know how to fight well. We don't know what to do when we start to disagree. We don't know how to do it well when we let each other down, when doubt has crept in and it's like, I'm not sure how to trust you again. Is this right? (laughs) Does this make sense? Okay, like we know that most of the dumb things we end up doing are because of some unresolved Conflict and tension. People leave businesses because of managers that they don't know how to deal with. People leave marriages because of fights or disagreements they don't know how to deal with. People leave churches because of vibes and tension that they don't know how to deal with. And I don't say it as if it's easy to deal with this stuff, but our ability to work out what to do when we're disagreeing and hurting each other and the adrenaline is starting to rise is the difference, I think, often between real pain and being able to create something, move forward, make something good. It's the difference between mistakes that we will regret and being able to somehow live through those challenges uh, and come out somewhere healthy and helpful on the other side. So we're going to talk about conflict. And there's one obvious sort of simple way to avoid conflict, and that is just to avoid Human beings, okay? Um, and I'm being glib, but what I mean actually is that you could probably convince yourself you can avoid conflict just by never going deep with anyone, right? If I just never really let you know me that well, and I never bother to get to know you that well, then maybe we can get away without much conflict. And you do you, and I'll do me, right? But as soon as you want any kind of relationship, as soon as you want to be known and know As soon as you want to have some influence over one another, as soon as you want to start to really rely on one another, then hey-ho, conflict's on the way, I'm sorry to tell you, but it's coming, Um, because we disagree. And as soon as you know someone well enough, you're going to share some of the things that you care about, and then if they don't care in the same way or as much as you'd like them to, then suddenly you're at war. And the closer the relationship, the greater the trust, the greater the intimacy, the more terrifying those fights become, right? The person that you arrived here with today, whatever relation you have with them, that person can hurt you far more than the person you met for the first time today. So the stakes just get higher and higher the closer the relationship gets. So, what do we do when we are fighting? What do we do when we disagree with one another? My plan for the next few minutes is just to firstly give some practical tools um, from various bits of studying, research, reading. Uh, I do think there may be some masterclassy kind of ideas that all of us just need to be reminded of. But then ultimately what I'm hoping we can do is get to the, the mega powerful stuff that deals with conflict, which is not just practical tools. It's something far deeper, far more powerful than the practical tools. But on the front of practical tools, let me just ask you to start by thinking about any scenario in your life at the moment where there may be some conflict, where there may be some disagreements, where the the stakes might be starting to rise. And if nothing comes to mind straight away, I'd like you to keep pushing, keep thinking. Like, Where is there someone who's irritating or offending you where you've cut them off? Because that's a version of conflict, right? You've just decided to completely withdraw now, or this person's dead to me, I no longer trust you, whatever, okay? So there might be someone who you've just written off, and that was your solution to conflict. Or it might be that there's someone who you're starting to annoy, and you're just vaguely getting the sense of it. And maybe someone's going to poke you in the ribs in a second now to let you know that this is you, right? Where you're causing some. Um, Maybe there's someone who scares you. But you know, if they were to get going in a certain way, on a certain topic, with a certain tone of voice, your anxiety rises, and you just start looking for the emergency exits when they start speaking to you in that way, okay? So I'd like you to try to pull to mind a few spaces where it's it's not peaceful. It's not, I'm fully known, I know them fully, we're completely on the same page, we trust one another 100%, I've got no doubts, right, where it's like... Have you got something? Okay, or can you think of a period where you've been through something like this? The first thing to say about conflict, where the other person that you're dealing with is starting to get scary <laughs> to you, is that just like the law of gravity and sowing and reaping and only being the All Blacks once at a time, the law of Projection, I believe, is inescapable. Projection is the pop psychology term for when I start seeing in you the thing I hate in myself. When I start seeing in you the thing I hate in myself. This is not a sometimes this happens, sometimes it doesn't. This always happens. When people are being scary, it's because they're scared. And I don't know if you believe me or not, but I'm just going to keep saying it until your faces start to look like you're just going to accept it, right? People who are scary are scared. That's why they're being scary. People who are judging you harshly feel insecure about the ways they're failing at their own judgments. That's why they're doing it. People who bully you are afraid they're about to be bullied. That's why they do it. Hurt people hurt people. It just is what it is, and so the reason I tell you that is that when someone is behaving badly towards you, when someone is hurting you, when someone is treating you without the due care or consideration you think you deserve, 100% of the time, they're not having a good time. They didn't wake up that morning going, I am perfectly healthy and whole, everything in my life is going well, and I'm just going to hurt this person for no reason. That never happens. And all of us would just do well to start with that assumption, okay, if I'm being treated in a way that is hurting me, scaring me, intimidating me, whatever, disrespecting me, there is something going on on the other side. Now, whether or not it's your duty to care, whether or not it should be your problem, well, that's a different conversation. But it is worth saying that this is not coming out of a vacuum, ever. This is also not 100% because of you, because we're all narcissists. So immediately you start to make it about yourself. They're treating me badly. It must be because of me, right? It must be, if I could do better, if I could change, maybe I'd stop this. If I could be more of a good Christian, or if I could be more of a hard worker, or if I could whatever, and fill in the blank, then maybe I could solve this. No, it was never 100% about you. They always had something to do with them as well. And so the starting point is hurt people hurt people. Scary people are scared there is something going on, causing projection. You may well have caused part of this fight, and we'll get onto your role in a second, but can we just start with kind of ticking the box on, all right, I I remember, I've been reminded, I understand that there is something going on on their end that's causing this as much as there's something on my end. Okay, point number one. Point number two, disregard point number one, because what is going on on their end is actually not your problem and not your responsibility, okay? And this is where younger me would have got on a soapbox, and older me is like, crumbs, I do this so much. But don't we spend a lot of our time trying to convince people that we've understood their motives, and they should just admit that we've understood their motives? (laughs) Don't we spend a heck of a lot of time doing that? The reason you keep leaving your clothes next to the washing basket, not in the washing basket, is because you take me for granted. It is because you don't respect me. It is because you think you live in a magical fairyland where your mother, in looking like me, lives to meet you every need, right? Said no wife ever. (laughs) And most of that conversation is an exercise in, I'm busy trying to tell you about you, (laughs) right? I'm busy trying to teach you about yourself. I'm trying to explain your internal motivations. I'm trying to explain to you the flaws in your thinking. I'm trying to explain to you all the ways you are so different from Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) And friends, that is such a bad idea. That's where I think conflict goes, like Middle East, (laughs) right? Right? That's where it's, if you start telling me about what makes, even if you're right, I'm offended. You've got no right to get inside me and tell me why I do the things I do. You're not more of an expert on me than I am. Don't tell me this is why I did that. I don't really know why I did that, but I'm pretty sure it's not what you're saying. And so I'm going to retaliate and kind of go, oh, so you're doing all this stuff. In order to get a response, oh, so this isn't free and, and, and loving, this is manipulation. Oh, good to know. I remember your mom always used to manipulate me as well. Whoa. And now we're, now we're away. Now we're away. Now people on the outskirts are getting the popcorn. <laughs> because you are not an expert on anyone other than yourself. And so the thing that I fail often to remember, but the thing that really should be dominating our mind when you find yourself in conflict, where your boss says that thing again and you know that this is not okay and that he or she is just trying to, I don't know, manipulate the circumstance to get what's really best for them, or when your mother-in-law starts that conversation about the government again and you feel your anxiety levels rising, or whatever, when your sibling makes that put-down comment, when you feel the the anxiety level starting to rise when you see yourself at loggerheads with someone, instead of spending all that energy telling yourself, telling your mates, the technical term for that is gossip, and then eventually telling them all the things that are motivating them, we should be spending loads more time figuring out what's motivating us. Because do you know what else happens? You project as well. It's not just true of the rest of mankind, it's true of you too. And so the reason this person is offending me, the reason this person is irritating me, the reason that statement, I can't just let slide, is because of some stuff going on in me, which it actually probably would be worth becoming an expert about, right? What is actually hooking me here? Why do I care about this so much? Other people don't seem to be as bothered by this as me. So instead of spending all this energy trying to become an expert on why this person fails in the way they fail and what it shows about them and how I might manipulate or control or punish or use humor so that I can claim it was just a joke while I actually try to punish. Instead, I should probably do a fair amount of work up front, internally, going, why does this actually matter to me so much? With the two massive questions, what, it, what is so scary about this and what do I need? And if we were note-taking people, that would be one to take a note about, Right? What is so scary about this? What do I fear? And what do I need? Because no one ever got into a fight over something that didn't bother them, that they didn't need. So if you're prepared to get into a fight over something, it's because this is hooking some fear of yours in some way. This threatens something you can't do without. And there's something you need out of this situation. And if you can really do the proper hard work, you can often work out, oh, actually what I need here. Is just to feel respected, and I don't feel respected. Or, oh, what I actually need here is to feel safe, and the way they're carrying on makes me feel unsafe. And then you can try to be specific about that. What is it specifically that you need to change? What would it look like to have things kind of calm down for you? If we can do that hard work, friends, then you are so much more likely to be able to do that conversation well. I know it's very practical and kind of lectury, but I hope this is helpful. Because a lot of the time I end up in conflict, and I haven't really thought through, what does this say about me? If I do start thinking about myself, sometimes it's in that insecure, like, this is all my fault, maybe I can fix it, maybe I can be who they need me to be. No, I'm not talking about that at all. But what is it that I need, and what is it that I fear? What is making me keep re-engaging here, and not just being able to kind of brush it off? Because then you can start to communicate properly. And communicating properly looks like speaking very tentatively about what might be going on with them and very certainly about what's going on with you. It's not huge rocket science, but it's like, hey, I don't, I don't pretend to know why you're behaving in this way. I don't pretend to understand what it is you need. I can see you're very frustrated and I'm really sorry that you are. I can see that we're disagreeing and I hate it when we disagree. I wish we were on the same page. I want to get back to that and I want to get back to us in lockstep going in the same direction. That's my goal because I value you and I respect you and you're important to me and that's, that's what I want us to be at. So I don't know yet fully what's going on and I'd love you to explain to me what's going on on your end, but let me just describe to you what's going on on my end. I'm finding you scary because of X, Y and Z and I need... To feel A, B, and C. That's it. Can you say that as a PDF? <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, what to tell myself <laughs> the whole time. Yeah, I'm finding you scary. I'm finding, I'm feeling frustrated. I'm, I'm experiencing this. Talk about yourself because that's actually all you know. That's all you have the right to talk about is yourself. Not why do you always. <laughs> you don't know that. And actually you do know they don't always. So let's not generalize. And there's a statute of limitations. Please don't be dragging up what they did six months ago or six years ago. If it was a problem then, you should have dealt with it then. You didn't. So it's all bets are off. We're talking about this. <laughs> I'm nervous about what, what I've just done there. <laughs> Katie, I'm on your side. H, I'm on your side. Both of you. you both win. Um, Yeah, but if it, was, if it was worth talking about then, it was worth talking about then. You didn't, so you've lost your chance. You don't get to quote patterns. You always, you never. That's just not fair. Right now, I am feeling X. And I need to feel Y. And I don't know what's going on with you. I'd love to understand. Because let's reaffirm. Where I want to get to is, we're working on the same page, building this business like we always have. We're working on the same page, parenting these children like we always have. We're working on the same page, organizing this family lunch like we always love. Whatever. I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on you and your motivations and your flaws and your character. It's not fair. I'm an expert on myself. And the reason you're hooking me is probably because of something inside me. I have to be humble enough to admit I'm probably projecting. I am probably hurt. That's why I'm hurting you. I'm probably afraid. That's why you're so scary to me, because there's something else that's really bothering me. That kind of statement wouldn't hook other people, but it hooks me because of something going on in me. So I need to figure out what that is and do some due diligence on myself to work out why I need what I need. Hey, it's not your fault. It's not your problem. I have this thing. I need to feel this in relationships. Otherwise, I get nervous. I get scared. I get unhelpful. So I'm just letting you know. And at the moment, I'm not feeling it. So please help me understand. What's going on with you? How can I help? Useful, makes sense, very easy to say, very hard to do. But that's the practical stuff. And here's the problem. Often in human relationships, even if you do that, even if you reduce the kind of blaming and accusing, I don't know how this works sort of mathematically, but it still seems to me like the best way to describe it. It feels like you can get to the end of this process and there's still a remainder. Okay? It's like, You've expressed yourself and been heard. They've expressed themselves and you've heard them. The adjustments or the compromise or whatever has been made, and yet at the end of the day, you're still just not getting what you need. And we've been married 30 years, and like they're just is still this remainder. Or we've been in business however long, and there's still just this remainder. Or at some point, you were hurt just more than you've been able to they have kind of restitution or like you've not been paid back for what was stolen from you. Someone messed you around in business and you're never getting that money back. Okay, there's like a remainder. And these nice neat ideas of how we can have dialogue and express ourselves to one another just aren't enough. That's where we need, I think, this most potent solution for conflict. And I'm just going to read a few texts which are actually pretty self-explanatory. And then I'm going to give you an opportunity to do some business with God. But this is Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. It's very famous. He's done the Beatitudes. This is the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most famous sermons. But the back end is maybe a little less well known, although it should be vaguely familiar as I read it. But he says, if you Our offering from verse 23 of Matthew chapter 5. If you are offering your gift at the altar. And there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Not you have something against them. You are fine. And then you remember, oh, but actually I think maybe they have something against me. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. Stop worshipping God. Stop doing religion. Stop doing devotion. Stop doing this sacrifice. Stop doing these good, worthwhile things. Stop. Don't continue to try to deal with God. Don't continue to try and have an experience with God. There is something more important that He'd rather you did in that moment. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Then come and engage in worship. Then come and spend time with God. I was kind of doing okay, and then I realized, actually, I think I might have offended so-and-so. I think I might have hurt so-and-so. I think I might have left them feeling short-changed in some way. It looks to me like maybe I've done some damage. Even if it's ridiculous. Even if this is completely their entitled millennial insanity, right? If someone has something against you, God says, better than singing songs, better than giving money, better than doing good works, better than all that stuff, go and be reconciled. God loves reconciliation. He is passionate about reconciliation. He is jealous about reconciliation. He is more into that than pretty much anything else you can do for him. That obviously glorifies him more, pleases him more than anything else you can do. Leave your gift. Stop your acts of service. Go and be reconciled first. But God, that is really hard. <laughs> that is the one thing we really suck at. Yeah? Which is why I prize it so much. It's why I value it so much. Why it requires me so much, says God. Right? Why it is such a miracle, such an act of grace when you can get it right. Anyone can sing a song. But it takes someone who's really relying on God to go and reconcile and to heal and to fix relationship when it's gone really sour. He goes on to say, Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. And truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. This sounds like very practical advice. But again, Jesus is saying, in this case... You're in the wrong. You're being taken to court, right? You've done someone in. And human nature, I think Jesus is trying to point out, is like even when you're in the wrong, human nature is, let me just delay and delay. Surely this will get better by itself. He's saying it's not going to get better by itself. It's only going to get worse. Do you see the escalation? It goes from you're at loggerheads with someone to you're at court to you've been handed over to an officer. You're thrown in jail. Now you owe money. It only gets worse. Time does not heal these kinds of things. It's the great lie. If I just bury my head in the sand. We just do that careful dance in the aisles at Woolworth, so we don't have to see one another. You know, it'll just go away. It doesn't. So Jesus is saying, "Act now. Be quick about it." Oh, I hate this stuff. Yeah, be quick about it. Oh. I but I feel guilty. I know I'm in the wrong. I'd rather just not return their calls. Be quick about it. It's only going to get worse. It's only going to escalate. Thank you, Jesus. Very helpful, very practical, very uncomfortable. And so I'm going to skip ahead now to 1 Corinthians 6, where Paul, who has been a student of Jesus' way of life, and Paul, who is an expert at offending people, Right? He was not a smooth, gently, well-rounded character. He was prickly and spiky and ended up in conflict quite often. So he's clearly had plenty of time to think this stuff through. Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're going to start at verse mm, 6. So Paul's busy bombing on the Corinthians, really, going like, you guys suck at so much stuff. And he says... You're even taking each other to court. So one brother takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you mean you have been completely defeated already. Listen carefully. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Paul's looking at a bunch of Christians, and he's saying, you guys are getting into legal disputes with one another. You're fighting with one another. And he's saying to the person, potentially even in the right, you getting into this legal fight is worse for you than you just being wronged. What does Paul understand that we don't understand? He thinks this is insane. He's looking at this going, why would you not rather be cheated than end up at that level of conflict? And most of us, if we're honest, go, because we hate being cheated. (laughs) I'd rather get justice. Paul can't understand. Why would you be so keen to get justice that you'd risk this kind of conflict in front of the world, Christians, suing Christians? Why would you not just rather be wronged? Uh, okay, Paul, I need to understand what you know that I don't know, because I don't want to be wronged. I don't want to be cheated. Paul's going, that, that, that's preferable to what you're doing. Have any of you ever been forgiven by a human being? Have you ever had that experience of being forgiven? I have. <laughs> Try to think about that moment. You've messed up. You've hurt someone. You have no defense. You've seen the pain you've caused. And then somehow, at some point, they're able to say, I forgive you. Have you had that experience? Just put your hand up if you had, if you've been forgiven at some stage. It is a transformative experience, isn't it? You can't be the same after you've been forgiven. David, my son has forgiven me a few times. That will sort you out, oh my goodness. When you've hurt your own child and your child goes, Dad, it's okay, I forgive you. Apparently when I was small, my dad (laughs) was told to feed some medicine to my brother and ended up feeding surgical spirits to him because he didn't look at the bottle. He was in hospital. My dad thought he killed his youngest son. My mom was eventually gracious about it, but not in that moment. And the legend has it, I don't have a memory of this, but the legend has it that I'm sitting with my dad in the corridor, and my dad is just, like, ashamed and terrified. Apparently, I put my hand on him and said, you know, something to the effect of, like, God still loves you. We all forgive you, you know? <laughs> what a legend. I not you wish you had a child like me. God, obviously, been very well brainwashed by our, our children's church, but... That experience of being forgiven, friends, in real human terms, it feels like a big deal. But actually that's chump change compared to how we've been forgiven by by God. We were singing about it earlier. That the debt we had against him, the hurt we'd caused him, he created us out of the overflow of his love to be with us. God wants to be with you and to enjoy you and to be trusted by you. And each one of us have gone our own way and done our own thing and let him down like crazy and sinned against him and we've been forgiven. And Paul is looking at us going, and now you guys can't forgive one another? <laughs> You're going to take each other to court? The people of God who are supposed to demonstrate to the world what grace actually looks like? The transforming power of forgiveness. It's not just getting off the hook. It's Forgiveness that's powerful, that literally changes people, that rewires them, the forgiveness is so deep. You were guilty, you've been loved instead, not just let off the hook. That kind of forgiveness is powerful. And so we're given this opportunity by this God who is passionate about reconciliation to turn that forgiveness on the world, to have received it and then to turn it on others. I'm going to ask JJ to get that song going again. And right now is the moment where this needs to get practical. Because firstly, I want us all to recognize and remember how much we've been forgiven. And then secondly, I'd really love us all to take advantage of this opportunity to do some reconciliation. God says, don't go to church until you've been reconciled. Don't go and do that good work until you've been reconciled. I've given you this superpower. I've forgiven you much, therefore you can forgive one another. And when we look at the world, and when we look at the remainders that are left, the only thing that solves that remainder is forgiveness. There's no other thing that does it. Yeah, I might have got a cheap sorry out of so-and-so, but their life has gone on, and my life continues to be wrecked by the thing they did. What deals with that remainder? The fact that I've been forgiven much. And they can therefore forgive much. And forgiveness is transformative. Not just for them, but for you. Not just for them, but for you. And we get to walk away free and healed only once we've been able to let loose some forgiveness in this world. You have been given that much authority in your life that you can keep yourself crippled, if you like. Or you can let their mistake cost you. That's what forgiveness is. Let their mistake cost you. And walk out free. And I don't say it as if it's easy or comfortable or simple. Well, it is simple. It's not easy, right? It is pretty clear, but it's not comfortable. But right now, as this song starts to play, you have two jobs. One, have I fully recognized the forgiveness that's available to me? And perhaps you need to respond to it again or even for the first time. God, you are holy and perfect and want an absolutely trusting relationship with me, and I have broken trust so many times, and fallen so far short of your standard, and yet you keep on welcoming me back. You keep on letting my pain cost you. My mistakes cost you. My punishment land on you. He keeps doing it. And so job one is to try and reckon with just how much we've been forgiven. And then job two might actually involve getting your phone out, And texting someone. It might actually involve getting your phone out and asking someone to a lunch. Because you've been let loose on this earth, armed with the power to forgive. Armed with the ability to do reconciliation. The thing God loves the most. The thing that humans suck at the most. And it's not strong, altogether people that are good at this. It's broken people who recognize how much they've been forgiven who are really good at this. So, George is going to lead us in this song, and you can stay seated, listen to the lyrics, remember what it feels like to be forgiven, and then allow the Holy Spirit to challenge you to do some forgiving and some reconciling. I get excited to think about the amount of healing and joy we could be about to unleash if you engage with this moment.